Revolution. Yeah, it keeps not. Wise County on the map, that's all I can say. Well, we were not dealing just with one case. All over, people were recording something, something. And one of these somethings appears to have crashed. A cigar-shaped object, brightly illuminated, floated over a head in the early morning hours and crashed on the hillside. The pilot of the craft, which was not of this earth, given a Christian burial in Aurora Cemetery. There, there was at least a partial headstone here. And on this was a very curious mark. A definite saucer shape. An eyewitness, 86-year-old Charlie Stevens, claims when he was seven in 1897, he saw the crash. But I see it my grandkids went out there on the screen, off one of the screen doors, and they sifted sand out there. They found a little particles of metal. Lead looking metal, but it wasn't lead. I never heard of the spaceman. I moved to Aurora in 1920, and not one word did anybody ever mention about it. Some people think it's a hoax. It's there. It's out. There's hurting your life. Good morning, campers. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your counselor, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other counselor, Woody Brown. What's up, dude? Oh, my goodness, dude. I'm so excited about today's show. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, just like most of these things, this is something that you obviously have known about, but it's new to me. And anytime there's something that's new to me, mm-hmm. I think part of, well, one of my favorite things about our podcast for myself is that I get to learn about these things. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, uh, this this is incredible. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a super fascinating case. It's actually, I think, one of the oldest and best known UFO encounters, right? It is, yep. Well, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like, um, it's not like the first ever, but I mean, I'm just saying like, it's, it's pretty well known amongst strong. the UFO crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I got to say though, <clears throat> before we start digging deeper into this story, mm-hmm. you know, this time period, uh, between oh, yeah. from about like late fall of 1896 to the spring ish of late spring, I guess of mm-hmm. 1897, there was this significant flap of UFO sightings and encounters. And yep. for our listener, Tyler, can you just remind, just in case this is the first time they're listening to our show, or maybe they've never listened to any of our, you know, sort of paranormal type shows before, mm-hmm. what exactly is a flap? Well, I had a sprawling 10-minute version, but <laughs> I found a better uh, definition online that says... A series of similar, a series of similar sightings in a small area over a short amount of time. Oh, there you go. There it is, easy. And the interesting thing about this flap in particular that happened across that time period is it's actually it's interesting that that's the definition because it's really just a huge one 
across mm-hmm. the U.S. and um, even in parts of Canada and stuff. But today's <clears> show, we're actually going to be kind of focusing on this case that we're talking about today in Aurora, Texas, and most specifically, almost like a miniature flap in and around that area. Yeah. Because it's pretty uh, crazy the amount of activity that happened within a 12-day period within 200 miles of Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, yeah. And so Aurora is, I think we looked at it, I think it's like around between 25 and 30 miles from Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about the event itself. Okay. About 6 o'clock in the morning, April 17, 1897, the early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of the airship which has been sailing throughout the country. It was traveling due north and much nearer the earth than before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order, for it was making a speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour and gradually settling toward the earth. It sailed over the public square and when it reached the north part of town, collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill and went to pieces with a terrific explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and water tank and destroying the judge's flower garden. The pilot of the ship is supposed to have been the only one aboard, and while his remains are badly disfigured, enough of the body has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Mr. T.J. Weems, the U.S. Signal Service officer at this place and an authority on astronomy, interesting combo, gives his opinion that he was a native of the planet Mars. Papers found on his person, evidently the records of his travels, are written in some unknown hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. This ship was too badly wrecked to form any conclusion as to its construction or motive power. It was built of an unknown metal, resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver, and it must have weighed several tons. The town today is full of people who are viewing the wreckage and gather specimens of the strange metal from the debris. The pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. Signed, E.E. Hayden. What's really cool about this, and I think it kind of begins to get us sort of back uh, into talking more about the interesting concepts and stuff that are in Jacques Vallée's um, book. Uh, Passport to Magonia. Passport to Magonia. And that is that like UFO and we'll just say potentially alien encounter, just encounters with beings that maybe aren't of this world or yeah and we'll get to it later maybe from another time well it's it's well just it's sort of a blanket like whether Mm -hmm. it's another dimension another Mm -hmm. you know time another yeah it's just like these things are happening way back when so like i'm really drawn to the idea of late 1800s texas amazing and they're just you know what is this cowboys versus aliens you know yeah um that these things are happening around here. So, I mean, we can kind of break down the Aurora crash. Um, mm-hmm. Like we kind of said earlier, mm-hmm. it was early in the morning mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like in the sky, these folks, the townspeople, see this, you know, what they called an airship yeah, above their town kind of coming in, potentially kind of, I don't know, flying around like, like there was something wrong with it mechanically, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know, they just came to that conclusion because it was sputtering or if they heard any kind of sounds to clue them in and make them think that. But essentially it wasn't going extremely fast, mm-hmm. but it straight up just crashed into this windmill tower yeah. that was on this judge's property. Which I'm glad you said that because that is one thing that I 
I couldn't really find either. Like in every kind of thing you find, it says that, you know, they noticed like something was wrong, but like it never really, it, it never really says anywhere, you know, if it had damage or if it was like, right. you know. And he, even, you know, back then, something moving, even at that speed, nine to 10 miles an hour mm-hmm. overhead, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're talking folks about a time period when, you know, just for reference, I think, gosh, this is... Mm, 1903, Wright Brothers. Yeah, so what is that? Uh, six, seven years, six or seven years before the Wright Brothers are flying mm-hmm. uh, an airplane in North Carolina, these folks in a small town in Texas are seeing things in the sky flying around, you know? So can you imagine how frightened they are number one plus this happened early in the morning and all of a sudden there's this big explosion Mm -hmm. one thing that i loved about it just right out of the gate that kind of separates it from a lot of the things that happened during the flap that we will talk about on another show is well there was well that sounds kind of mean but there was a casualty right and the the uh the body yeah of this I guess pilot mm-hmm. was found, and the immediate sort of observation from the people that found it was that it was not human. Yeah, I, and to me, that's the best part of the whole story, and and not just the best part, but the, to me, that's the part that that really sort of separates this. You know, what and what they did after sort of has defined this case as being you know one of the the sort of timeless accounts. I mean, first off, it's kind of like the first, you know, recovered craft case of all time, you know, which is pretty fascinating. What's also super interesting about this and part of the reason why we wanted to focus Mm -hmm. on this case, but then just kind of like a few days before, is this isn't like an isolated incident in this area. In fact, different sources that I found kind of reported a couple different things, but one of them, you know, basically said that between April 13th and April 17th, the date of this crash in 1897, there are around 38 reported sightings of, quote, airship in mm-hmm. 23 different counties, mostly in central Texas. But what's super interesting is that, you know, like I said earlier, within that period, almost, I mean, so many of them were within that 200-mile radius of Fort Worth. Yeah. That's- and when you start looking at them, I found this incredible uh, map. We'll, we'll probably put it in the in the artifacts, uh, a picture of this newspaper article mm-hmm. that was written by uh, Donald B. Hanlon and Jacques Vallée. And um, when I say newspaper article, I think it might be like a, uh, I don't know, some sort of paper or, you know, excerpt mm-hmm. from a book. I'm actually not positive. So I'll cut that part out so I don't want to look at douchebag um but it's interesting to look at this map and you know they've kind of outlined all of the sightings they've kind of numbered them and and provided the eyewitness either description or whatever ran in that paper about it Mm -hmm. and when you're looking at this list it's just it's nuts and even just say the day april 17th there's Mm -hmm. 13 or 14 sightings on April 17th. So whenever I see something like that, man, if this was just like an isolated, like, oh, this town of Aurora, Texas, somebody saw something, it crashed, there was stuff that happened, that's it? Yeah. You know, that in and of itself in 1897 is extremely interesting. 
and puzzling. But the fact that, you know, this is, like we say in our introduction here, this is a major pre-internet mystery, right? Oh, yeah. There's no way that these people are like text messaging each other on the same day and saying, hey, man, you know, I know you're about, you know, 30 miles away from me or 100 miles away from me, but hey, do me a favor and report report this flying object. Yeah. Something is happening here. Yeah, I, and I think it's important, to, you know, we're, we're always kind of trying to give like context because, you know, in the digital age that we live in now, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to disassociate from like the way we do things. So, you know, this would have been, I would say probably most people in the area of rural Aurora, Texas didn't have telephones. So it's kind of like a word of mouth. And then back then, you know, it's like you got your news, you waited for the paper to come out the next day. So the fact that like all these reports within this 200 mile radius in a day is, I mean, pretty telling in my opinion. Yeah, man. And it's, and it's hard to like sort of question the, the credibility of that because it's like, okay, well, like even more paranormal, explain to me how that happens. If, if these people weren't truly seeing something. Yeah, exactly. And then how can the descriptions almost all be so Mm -hmm. similar, right? And so, like, I'll just give you some examples because they're super fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like, this one the day before on the 16th uh, in Granbury, uh, Texas, this guy calls in and it says that uh, this guy named Newt Gresham at Mm -hmm. 9.30 p.m. was drilling with a company called the Riddle Rifles. So they're doing some sort of military drill Mm -hmm. uh, practice Mm -hmm. at 9.30 p.m. And then they see this airship approaching. He ordered the company to fire on the object, and it later disappeared. Oh, you're burying the lead. Uh, I mean, really? No, no, no. No, in a good way. Okay. So that's the night of the 16th, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all know now that on the 17th... Early morning. Early morning, the ship was apparently damaged and crashed. There it is. So on the 17th, in the morning of the 17th, it was seen in... Childress, Texarkana, Garland, mm-hmm. Bonham, Cleborne, Tioga, Mansfield, Ladonia, Forney, and then of course, Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in Childress, it says, and it's interesting too, and and we'll kind of talk about this in a second. But a lot of times these people are referencing a quote, much, and you'll see. So in Childress, it says this: the much talked of airship was seen here last night at about one sixteen. Uh, Reverend J.W. Smith was the first to discover the curious aerial monster. He thought at first that it was a star shooting, but after watching it a moment or two, saw that it was not. He then called to his mother-in-law. Mm, he then called to his mother-in-law, Mr. Charlie Norris. <laughs> you know, hey. <laughs> and also called to Mr. Bates and his wife, near neighbors, who were up at the time. And Charles Norris, his mother-in-law, ran over to his mother's. Boy, there's a lot of... I think this is just like hardcore typos here. But anyway, his relative. Anyways, it soon disappeared, traveling in a uh, westerly direction. Reverend Smith thinks it must have been about 2,000 feet high and traveling very fast. In Texarkana, a telegraph operator at Hope, Arkansas, said he saw the airship. It's not clear whether he saw it from Hope or from Texarkana. Garland, a man said he saw wings on the sides on the back of a cigar-shaped object. I love it. In Bonham, several saw the ship pass and heard the motors. 
Mm-hmm. In Claiborne or Cleburne, it says, sightings of the airship, no details given. All right. Mansfield, airship was said to be cigar-shaped with wings on either side, had a front-end headlight. Side lights were green with bright red in rear. Man. Ladonia, a sighting was mentioned, but the news several days later ran a correction which said that the man had been misquoted. Weather balloon. not seen the airship. Hmm. Men in black got there, son. Yeah. All right, Beatrice. There was no alien. Flash of light you saw in the sky was not a UFO. Swamp gas from a weather balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and refracted the light from me. Uh, well, well, and I'll, before you continue, let's also say that, like, Woody and I, we, we don't believe that it's beyond the realm of possibility that, like, yes, there are going to be some charlatans. And, yes, there are going to be a percentage of these that were, you know, probably just, like, you know, trolls at the time that, like, ooh, I heard this story from so-and-so. Let me call into the paper. But, like, you know, I would say the large percent the percentage of people, you know, are truly seeing something in the skies. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we got to remember, too, this is long, long before, like, everybody gets the same paper, right? So this isn't, right. like... Everyone's getting USA Today or... Oh, pop, it's like their town, know, their little yeah, town. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. like, you know, the likelihood, and I mean, whew, I mean, even nowadays, you drive through some parts of Texas and it's like... Pretty remote. You know, I don't know that you can get the internet out there. Yeah. Um, so and it's, and like, it's pretty, like, spread out, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting. We know that on the 17th, this craft crashed. Mm-hmm. You know, the pilot, whether he was from Mars or just a funky-looking dude, mm-hmm. is dead. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. The ship is in pieces, and here's where it starts to get even more interesting. Mm-hmm. The sightings don't stop, folks. Yeah, which was, in our research, that was like, my immediate sort of next question of like, okay, well, there's all these sightings. There's this flap going on. Let's let's see if it like continues on after this crash. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind, oh, maybe there was a crash and then all of a sudden they just abruptly stopped. But they didn't. Right. So there was more sightings. Um, one pretty close to where my grandparents live actually in Bryan, mm-hmm. Texas. Cool. Uh, where a number of people claimed to have seen the mysterious airship uh, on set that Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then here's what's awesome. The next one that they list is in Atlanta. Whoa. So um, this is pretty cool. The um, the article from Atlanta says, there was considerable excitement here today caused by a visitation last night by the mysterious airship. Mm-hmm. Again, there it is. They're just referring to it as the mysterious airship. Yeah. Which, 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 which by the way, like, I think it's important to know also that, like, I mean, like I said before, you know, the Wright brothers, which I, I'm calling BS, and a lot of people agree with me, but like, I, you know, once you really start researching into this, I, there's nothing in me that believes the Wright brothers discovered, you know, manned powered flight. I, I believe that it was happening way earlier. And I know I'm burying the lead a little bit, but in saying that, I think it's important to note that the point of reference for like seeing something flying in the air, these people had never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, for the, like if somebody says, oh, it was going really fast, like, uh, you know, what he said at the top of the show, I mean, you know, is, is that 
is that 30 miles an hour? Is that 500 miles an hour? Is that 10 miles an hour? Like, right. So, like, it's kind of hard to gauge what these people are, you know, as far as, like, speed and height and stuff mm-hmm. because they had never seen anything like this. Yeah. So in Atlanta, and this one's really good. It gets descriptive, and I love it. So it says, <clears throat> uh, it was first seen by Jim Nelson, a farmer living one and a half miles west of here. He had mm. walked out into his yard just after midnight. First off, that tells you it was a long time ago because a mile and a half outside of Atlanta, there's no farmland left. None. Yeah. Um, he walked out into his yard just after midnight when his attention was attracted by a peculiar noise. Looking up, he discovered the mysterious aerial traveler. It seemed mm-hmm. to be descending straight to the earth with great speed. And Mr. Nelson's hair stood out with fright as he mistook it for a meteor and momentarily expected it to strike the earth mm-hmm. and to explode and blow himself, his family, and earthly possessions into eternity. But mm-hmm. when within two or 300 feet of the earth, it paused for an instant coming to a sudden stop, almost like a heavy weight falling until it reached the end of a rope sustaining it. Then it moved off at a rate of speed about equal to that of an ordinary passenger train in the direction of the city. Hmm. It's just insane. So I kind of want to come back to the reason why I wanted to kind of talk about the fact that, man, it was even seen in Atlanta afterwards, is that that's going to kind of lend some credibility to one of our theories that we're going to get to later. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to backtrack just a tad and talk a little bit about some of the circumstances that are super interesting and also a little bit more detailed about this crash and the crash site, I guess, in Aurora. Mm-hmm. After these messages, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Tyler, man, you know, there's one thing that got me through this COVID craziness. I got in the mail a couple of items from our merch store. Mm. And I got to tell you, man, this crew neck sweater is maybe one of the most comfortable things I've ever worn. The inside of it is like, I don't know how to explain it, man. I, I'm, I'm never going to take this thing off. Wait a minute. We have sweaters? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Sweatshirts. This sweatshirt is the most comfortable thing I have ever put on. I also got this like really cool trucker cap that says B-Rad on it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if people haven't already they need to go check out 
our merchandise store. They can find it at shop.spreadshirt.com slash that would be rad. So again, that's shop.spreadshirt.com. That would be rad. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very years there have been reports of giant man-like creatures from another dimension another world i don't know the most intriguing mystery on the north american continent you are listening to that would be rad so after the crash you know one of the things that was reported in the newspaper was they found this you know alien body mm-hmm. And the townspeople, some of them, I guess, like, maybe, like, the leaders of the town, like, you know, I mean, this happened on the judge's property. He's probably pretty good friends with, like, the local pastor. They decided they want to give this being or Mm -hmm. person a proper Christian burial. And so they arrange for that. Which is Uh, the coolest part of of the whole thing. Yeah, and so they end up doing that and burying him in the the local cemetery there. Mm -hmm. Also, some of the debris and stuff, they ended up, burying it in the well that was located on this uh, this judge's property. Yeah. Now, the well was sealed in the 1950s or mm-hmm. so. Like 1957 or something. Yeah, something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, there's a lot of like sort of like skeptical views about this specific case. Yeah. Part of the reason why is they have sort of figured out where the um, we'll just call it an alien, where the alien's grave is. Mm-hmm. So they had put together a grave uh, marker. Mm-hmm. They, they made a grave marker for this yep. thing. At some point, it was kind of defaced or whatever, and it was broken in half. What's interesting about it, though, because I saw this this uh, townsperson um, basically kind of draws what the gravesite looked like or the grave marker looked like. Mm. He draws what it's supposed to look like like whenever it's whenever it was whole, mm-hmm. and I'm not joking, but imagine a grave marker, and in the center of it, drawn like you know, carved into it, essentially was a c- cigar-shaped craft. Whoa, I didn't, I haven't seen that. That's yeah. awesome. And so, I guess people of the town and stuff, and and people that are curious, and UFO investigators, you know, people that want to either debunk it or to prove it, mm-hmm. have over time, you know, wanted to go in, exhume the grave investigate the contents and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't been able to, you know, I guess for legal purposes and stuff, the city's like, no, we're not digging up any graves. Well, because because it's like the next of kin to mm -hmm. to exhume a grave, at least in that town, the law is like you have to, there has to be like a next of kin that sort of proposes the, like, you know, exhuming the grave. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's no (laughs) next of kin around, so... Right, uh, they can't. W- one thing that was interesting uh, before we move on that I saw is, uh, did you see where that in 2018 that lawyer put out a? Uh, I don't know if it was in the local papers or or just online, but but there's like a a lawyer, I guess in the area that has offered a thousand bucks for anybody that can find, uh, you know, the marker or the headstone. Hmm. No. Yeah, and and his whole thing is like I don't want to get anybody in trouble. You know, no legal action will be taken. It's just a, you know, if you find it, there here's your reward. I thought that was pretty cool, dude. That is a uh, thousand bucks, though. I don't know. That isn't spread out very far. Oh. I mean, if you just if you're just like, oh, yeah, my cousin stole it. You know, it'd be real easy money just to yeah, for sure. Now here's some interesting stuff 
a lot of the skeptics have said a couple different things because over time, you know, there were some folks that were interviewed that were, you know, relatively young uh, when this happened. So they're like older whenever they mm-hmm. got interviewed in the 70s. And some of them have said, look, you know, that dang judge never even had a windmill. Skeptics have said, well, okay, there was never a windmill, so that equals the whole story is a sham, right? Yeah. Some people have said, you know, that at some point, around that time period, Aurora was kind of suffering from some sort of like, I don't know, man, people were getting sick and stuff, and so a lot of folks had like moved out from that area, and this was sort of their, or it's theorized that this was their attempt to bring people back in and create like, you know, some cash flow for the city. Mm-hmm. When I started hearing that, I was like, oh man, that stinks, right? Because you've got some townspeople saying like there wasn't even a windmill on the property and this guy just made it all up and, you know, the judge was just kind of trying to do this to to better the town, you know, mm-hmm. take one for the team sort of thing. What's interesting is <clears throat> I found this old episode of the History Channel show UFO Hunters. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I wrote it down, it's season two, episode four. And Here's what's really, really cool, man, because as you're watching it, you know, they present that information too, of course. You know, they're telling you about different things that people are skeptical about and all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they they find some really interesting stuff. Their argument about that there was never a windmill, well, mm-hmm. it's still family-owned land. The guy that owns the land now lets the UFO hunters come on the property. <clears throat> they kind of start digging sort of near where this well would be. As they're doing so, they end up hitting it with their shovel first, but they find these embedded in the ground, man, these support stands for, you guessed it, a windmill. Oh, man. Proving that there was a windmill on the property. Yes. Then over where kind of uh, away from this area, there's this live oak that's like over like 200 years old, right? Mm -hmm. That's been on that property and would have been on the property back then. Here's what's crazy, dude. On the tree itself, there's a couple things that are crazy. On the tree itself, there are marks that indicate at some point when it was a younger tree, it was burned, obviously. Our theory is from this crash. And so there's like this scarring that they had like arborists come out there, man, and like say, well, this wouldn't just happen. This isn't something just like it didn't get damaged or something. This is from a fire. This is a this is a mark that indicates there was fire wow. involved, right? Here's where it gets even crazier, bro. As they're doing this, they bring out a metal detector. Mm-hmm. They put it up against the tree. This metal detector starts going bananas. No. Embedded in the tree is pieces or whatever of this, of metal wow indicating that and they're of course they're like well we're not going to cut down a 200 year old live oak to Mm -hmm. you know dig into this you know tree and try to find what it is but well i wish they would though (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know wait for a lightning storm now i wanted to say something else too real quick because if you've never been to texas or you know we've got international listeners now like our buddy matt man in Mm -hmm. australia if you've never been to texas I do want to provide this context, especially in this area of Aurora. You can literally see for probably hundreds of miles. It is flat as Mm. a board. Yeah. There's also not a whole lot of like giant trees. You know, the fact that there's this oak 
would have made that land probably super popular and very uh, kind attractive of, to, a, yeah. to a landowner, right? Because mm-hmm. really you're looking at like shorter mesquite trees and things like that. The fact that there's this like traces of metal embedded in God, the wood cool. of this tree is just like, man, no, I don't know what, you know, that's yeah. not saying anything definitive, but extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Another kind of, uh, I, I would say like connection about this metal in the show and, and, and folks, I'm not joking. You got to watch it. You can, I think you can stream it on Amazon, but I think they, the history channels, YouTube channel has this episode. Mm-hmm. You got to watch it. It's really, really cool. One of the kids of these relatives or whatever found this metal that was kind of like, almost like as if it was like almost melted onto a rock, right? So like imagine like walking through a field. Mm -hmm. You've got like, you know, not a boulder, but like I would say like a rock the size of a softball or something. Mm -hmm. And then on that rock, on top of it, is like a metallic substance that looks like it was just kind of, you know, melted onto it, right? Wow. So the kid brings it to his dad. The dad kind of like chips it off and he brings it to the, these UFO hunter guys on the show. Mm-hmm. At first, you're kind of thinking as a, as a viewer, you're like, oh, of course he found it, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, they knew they were coming to town, the production team, and, all, you know, probably interviewed the whole town to see whatever. So this guy brings it to him and, you know, it's not just an interesting part of the show. It's like, well, we're going to test this metal. They bring it into a lab. They test it. And there we go. Dude, this is where, again, now I'm coming into this show sort of the way that they edited it, like pretty skeptical at this point, right? you know? But they kind of like hit you with all this stuff at once. It's like, boom, there's metal in the tree. Boom, there was a windmill there. And now we're looking at the the what this metal is. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that this metal is partially aluminum. Mm-hmm. And they had it tested two times. The first time there was like a weird sort of anomaly in there that showed that there was something else there that wasn't identifiable. Like they had it element tested, type thing? Yes. Yeah. And it couldn't be, it wasn't a recognized element. So, mm-hmm. you know, potentially a new one. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the team gets all excited. Well, they take it to another person. This one's like more of an expert. It's not just like a lab. This is like, this is the person that you take stuff to. Yeah. And that didn't happen again. But what they did find was that this aluminum was consistent with the time period. Oh, wow. And here's something that I didn't know, but they said in the show is aluminum back then was extremely rare. Yeah. And very expensive. Mm-hmm. So to have that much and to go to all that expense and trouble just really seems pretty weird, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. and they tested the water from the well. So they, they end up unsealing this well. I don't know if you want me to get into this part. No, dude, because to me, this is like one of the more fascinating. Okay. So like I said before, parts. they sealed this well in the, in the late 50s. Now mm-hmm. remember, this is kind of where, and I don't know why, I don't know why you just dump debris into a well, I guess maybe, I don't know. Yeah, th- this, is, this is the single part in the story where doesn't really make sense. Like, why are they doing that? Are they just trying to hide why it? Would they do- well, and then yeah, not only that, but then, uh, I don't know if you read, but, you know, the the body that they found, when they buried that body, they also buried some wreckage from the ship in that too. So mm-hmm. it's like... Mm-hmm. By the way, they call him Ned. Ned, yep. Yeah. That's so awesome. They buried Ned. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're burying or throwing debris into the well. Mm-hmm. Didn't read a good answer for that. But... Although, because I mean, if you, no- if you think about it, it could just be like... Well, we just got to get this off our property. Yeah, no, but they drink from the well. 
So I'll tell you why they ended up sealing it. So right before that, people that were drinking from it or using it as their their water source mm-hmm. nearby were stricken with a strange illness. Yeah, uh, that kind of like gnarled their knuckles. It almost looks like kind of gout a little bit. Yeah, but like um, crazy arthritic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Weird. just nuts. So they they were like, we got to steal this thing off. It's probably there's something's going on there. It's toxic, mm-hmm. right? And which uh, again, uh, sorry to interrupt again, but I mean, if you truly believe that, okay, an alien craft crashed, we buried the wreckage, and now the water that is being pulled from the well is making everybody sick. It goes along perfectly with a, a lot of our encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Flatwoods Monster, I think Stanford Abduction. You know, there's a multitude of examples of cases where, you know, if you get too close to the ship, you know, cancer, your hair falls out, like strange sort of illnesses. And so this, this that's one of the, the things that I truly love about the story too is like, uh, did, did you run across, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but did you run across the pictures of the... Um, the illness or whatever? Well, there's a, there's a photo of like... The, the guy's like hands, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. I mean, it looks really bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me let me kind of dive into this real quick mm-hmm. because I just thought about this, man. I think you're right. This explains why. Okay, look, this is 1950s, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about 1897. That's another 50 years. Yeah. So you're right in that. Maybe they're just like, well, we got to put it somewhere. Get this stuff down there, boy. Yeah. They throw it in the well, and mm-hmm. then go about their business, the people that maybe own it next. Yeah. They're just like, oh, man, a water well. Sure am thirsty. Next yeah. thing you know, gnarled up hands. Well, think um, think about this, too. I mean, again, like just to provide a point of reference, I mean, even the even the people that were like, well, let's just throw it down the well. Number one, it was a giant hole in the ground probably. So yeah. so let's throw it in there. They Back then, I'm sure you didn't have this concept of like, contamination from like metals they just saw like oh it's this sort of because they said it was like aluminum but then they said it was several tons which was yeah interesting to me uh and it also sort of provided a little more credibility for it not being something terrestrial but you know the idea of like oh something coming from this craft could make us sick that was something that was a completely foreign concept, I'm sure. So it was like, okay, here's a hole in the ground, just dump it in there and yeah, move on with life. You know, I mean, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure you know, especially farmers, so they're smart enough to know you you mess up the the, the water source, but well, but like a metal, you know, yeah, who yeah. knows? The it was, just, line it was is, the same as throwing a rock down on a, a giant rock down there. Yeah, the bottom line is like eventually they figured, hey, this water isn't safe to drink, so they sealed it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. This show, you know, thanks to the uh, the power of uh, the History Channel, I guess, they opened that sucker up, man. And, you know, of course, the, one of the first things they want to do is, man, we need to get an environmental expert out here and we mm-hmm. need to test this water. So they test the water and the water that they got from the well had the normal minerals that would be consistent with the time period, but also just, you know, from that, um, I don't want to say elevation, but from that depth into the right. earth, mm-hmm. had the normal levels. But the lady said something that struck her interesting was that it had, and keep in mind too, they're getting these studies done by different laboratories, right? So mm-hmm. these people, it's kind of like a blind test or whatever right. it's called. They don't know 
that there's going to be anything that they can be double blind. There's no connection. Yeah, double blind test, Mm -hmm. right? By the way, Coca Cola is better than Pepsi. Okay. There is an unusual concentration of aluminum. Wow. So all of this stuff kind of adds together. You end the show, you end kind of like I came out of it thinking, okay, I had all these doubts Mm -hmm. because of these like the 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 typical sort of just sort of the skeptical. Yeah, the typical sort of skeptic. Like that sort of immediate, like, this has got to be. Right. All the theories, all the things that said this can't be. Yeah. All of these findings kind of pointed towards something happened. Man, that's great. We don't know if it was alien, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, something happened, right? I mean, it's just nuts, man. Yeah. Yeah, one thing, too, that that I probably, like, to me, the most fascinating thing, I mean, the whole case is fascinating, but to me, I've always loved this case because of the, the need to provide the christian burial i just think that is so like yeah. that's very texas i'll tell you that there's something very like sort of pure and like genuine naivete i guess mm-hmm. about it that's like it's just so cool it's like okay we we have this and again i think i think this provides uh a lot more credibility is you know i mean i don't know if you if everybody out there has heard but i mean there's a you know, it's kind of an old saying, like, you're as sober as a judge, which is like, I mean, if you're a judge in 1897 in a small town, I mean, you know, that's going to be your your sort of... Um, Trusted sta- authority. Standard right? authority sort of, you know, level of, like, integrity, you mm-hmm. know. And so for this guy to... This guy and several other folks to say, you know, this is clearly not of this earth. This is this is a whatever this this character is, he's not human. He's something else. It's just, it's just so hard for me to imagine that that like you're going to have a judge, you're going to have you're going to go through this whole thing that's that's going to like if it is a hoax, it's like boy, they they really went for it. And then you got to call your, you know, the pastor over to like do the Christian bear. It's like it just seems it's you know sort of Occam's razor to me where it seems I mean, it seems like the story is, is, it's harder to be untrue than true, in my opinion. Yeah. In a way. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't know if it was Martian or what, but. You well, know. you got, you got, you know, the context of that is like, you know, I saw in 1888, um, an Italian astronomer had announced evidence of being able to see canals um, mm-hmm. on Mars, you know? So I think that was a this little. Guy, this guy came in and said, hey. Hey, I got something to tell you. I was looking up in the sky the other day. I was outside. I was enjoying the breeze. I looked up there with my telescope. I'm an astronomer. Okay, young ladies. Hey, how are you? And I looked up in the sky. There's some canals up there. I don't know. There's some canals. <laughs> so, so that you know, that's in sort of the, the, the lexicon of like, ooh, Martian. Right. You know, so, so anytime mm-hmm. you hear... You know, if you, anything you look into and you hear the story and you hear like, oh, it, it was Martian. You know, I think that's that was just of the time, you know, kind of thing. But to me, like the 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 idea that like, OK, this is a spaceman and we're going to give him a proper Christian burial. So, you know, God can take his soul. I just think that's like. I don't know. It's just kind of like a sweet sort of endearing kind of fact. Yeah, it, it's different than sort of like, you know, grown up. When we grew up, it's like the second you think of aliens, it's like I'm looking at my VHS collection over here, and it's like <laughs> yeah. you got 
the Alien trilogy. You got Independence yeah. Day. You've got the X Files. You've got yeah, all, Fire in the Sky. And it's like it's like let's just kill them. Hey, man. Yeah, you're like, oh boy. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine you know anybody being like, hey, man, that sucks. This guy's dead. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> they would have ended up in a dang laboratory being cut up and stuff. These guys just want to give them a Christian burial. You yeah, know? I, is, I think that's really interesting. Cool. I'm going to move on a little bit into the the idea of like the hieroglyphics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is another really fascinating part about this. So um, apparently from what I found... So and, again, remind them though that along with this guy being found on the ground, Ned being mm-hmm. found, there were bits of paper around him that they sort of assumed were like details about his travels, his journal, whatever. Yeah. And they had undecipherable hieroglyphics. Well, it's, it's weird because I've read that, but then I also read where it had also basically stated it in a way of like he was wrapped in like... like Swaddling clothes. Like, yeah, like Roman robes. Oh, really? What? I did stuff. not see that. Yeah, really? so it's weird. It's like, was it like papers from like sort was of... Was it Marvin the Martian? <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's like, is it like... Did you guys just watch Space Jam? I don't know if it's like like robes with hieroglyphics or if it was like papers from like some sort of book or, or records or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, hieroglyphics were found on his person. And, you know, if you're into UFOs, if you're a follower of sort of ufology as a whole, that's going to pique your interest because mm-hmm. there's several other cases like this. So, mm-hmm. again, keep it the time, 1897, this was, this was pre, you know, before the, the 1920s where this sort of fascination with, like, Egyptology really kind of started to bloom. But, like, you know, 1897, I mean, Egypt it might as well have been on Mars. I mean, it was... Yeah, right. You know, yeah. in, in a, a small town, Texas, 1897. That, dude, that's so interesting that you say that. Can you imagine, just imagine plucking mm-hmm. someone from Aurora, Texas, yeah. taking them to Egypt, and them seeing the pyramids for the first time. I mean, it might as well be Mars, literally. Exactly. Yeah. So, so for them to find this, it's, it's pretty fascinating. There's a couple sort of tie-ins that I found that, that is really sort of interesting. So, you know, our first case is December 26, 1980, our Rendlesham Forest encounter, which is basically Roswell, you know, the Roswell of, of Great Britain. These two patrolmen on this military air base, they see strange lights in the woods near the military base. They run out to go check it out. They notice that, like, the air feels like sort of static charge, like it's ionized, you know, Mm. the air is all charged, like their hair would stand on end. Uh, You know, the air around the light, as they move in, they also notice that their radio stopped working. Mm. They see, as they get closer into the woods, you know, off, off of the base, about a mile into the woods, they see a downed triangle craft. They see the, um the woods and like the trees and stuff around it, you know, all kind of smashed in. So it looks like it's, it's crashed right in a way, you know, um, they were a little unclear, which is kind of an interesting little piece of it, but they were unclear of if it was actually floating or if it was kind of standing on sort of a tripod, you know, legs of some sort. But Hmm. here we go. The guy, as he gets closer, he sees that there are, hieroglyphs on the side of the craft. There's no, you know, he said, if you look into the story, you find that the, this main guy, you know, immediately he's looking for USAF. He's looking for, 
MOD, Military of Defense, or Ministry of Defense, some sort of military, Mm -hmm. you know, call sign or or emblem or badge. Yeah, or emblems, yeah. But he doesn't. This is sort of off the topic, but probably the coolest part is he goes to touch the the side of the craft, and when he does, he realizes that it's cold, but it's like statically charged, and immediately in his mind, it's like it's sort of uploaded into his brain like hundreds of thousands of ones and zeros, so basically binary code. What? Yeah, and this is in 1980, so, and I know this is off topic for Aurora, but like, that's that's really fascinating. Dude, that's crazy. It's really cool, yeah. And and we'll definitely do do that episode. But you know, there it is. He sees hieroglyphics on the side of the craft, and it's in 1980, so he would clearly he, he would know what hieroglyphics would look like. Yeah. The big one, obviously, Roswell, New Mexico. You know, 1947. Pretty much, if you really look into it, Roswell is the number one. Where Aurora was technically the first reported. UFO crash, this is the first, you know, recovered crash. There's a ton of mystery, you know, sort of surrounding it. Basically, a farmer calls and says, you know, something crashed. Uh, Jesse Marcel, which is, or Marcel, which is an Air Force intelligence officer, uh, he's the head of intelligence for the 509th bombing group, uh, which the base that he was on is, I mean, he was kind of the number one guy. I mean, this is the only place that there's, you know, sort of atomic weapons at the moment. You know, he's head of intelligence of the 509th Bomb Group. I mean, this is like, this isn't, this this guy isn't an idiot. He's, yeah, he's not like a private gump on the Yeah, he's like the cigarette. top of the top. So if anybody's going to know what's going on, you know, he's sadly, you know, the classic picture of him holding a weather balloon and then looking up in the photo. It's just mm-hmm. such a farce. And if anybody would know <laughs> what's not a weather balloon, it's going to be Jesse Marcel. He goes out. He sees this stuff. He he sees like some debris in the field, recovers it, and on his way back to to take it back to the base, he pulls in and shows it to his family. I think it's late. I think it's like a you know eleven o'clock or midnight. Pulls it all out of the bag, all on the kitchen floor. And his son Jesse Marcel Jr. Um, and again, w- w- it'll probably be like a two two parter episode because Roswell's such a big thing, but. You know, I'm doing like a real sort of loosey-goosey thing. Yeah. But he was so excited that he pulls out all this all this debris and to show his family. Jesse Marcel Jr., who, you know, sadly died in 2013, uh, his son, he was able to touch it. And out of all the things that he that he saw, you know, the anytime you talk about it, the first thing that comes up is this thing that they referred to as memory metal, which it's like this little sheet of metal, almost like um, Terminator 2. Kind of like Terminator 2. You 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 crumple it up in your hand, open your hand, and it eventually and it opens back up. You you burn it. They put it on the stove. You, you can't burn it. You you got a knife and tried to like carve into it. Nothing nothing leaves a scratch. Nothing leaves a mark. Super light. You know, lightweight. Pr- pretty fascinating. But the the amazing thing with that Jesse Marcel Jr. sort of accounts the son is that. There was this little, uh, which he refers to as a beam, eight to ten inches, even like uh, just like a little little rod, little beam. But he states that it has pur- it had purple sort of hued hieroglyphics on it, hmm. uh, which is pretty amazing. And you know, again, I mean, like, what are the odds of that? 
obviously in all these cases, it could be, you know, maybe it's not hieroglyphics. Maybe that they're just sort of thinking of the closest thing that they can think of that that look like, you know, maybe it is some sort of extraterrestrial language or whatever, but it's really interesting. So in researching this, I discovered something that I'd never heard of that was fascinating. So, and oddly enough, dude, in mm-hmm. 1957, in November, three men find a small saucer-shaped UFO. Well, they witness it. A fall from the sky on Silfo Moor near Scarborough. The three men are kind of rushing to go find it. On their way up there, they see a couple kind of heading and like away from it. Mm -hmm. The guy gets up there. I think he sees an indention in the ground, but he knows that something like hit the ground, something crashed. So I think he put it in the paper offering, you know, whatever it was, like 10 pounds or, or, or something at the time. And it's kind of a long story. So there's, you know, you can look it up, but like he's, you know, met with a reply. It's sort of delivered in a burlap sack. He exchanges the money. What's interesting is uh, the man gets it, cuts it open in the middle of town, mm-hmm. and on the base of this this sort of spinning top shaped UFO, there it is, like hieroglyphics. Uh, one man said that he he sort of compared it to hieroglyphics mixed with Russian letters. Weird. I think it's pretty fascinating. When the object was open, so they. I guess they sort of cut it opened, and it was completely sealed, so that's kind of an interesting thing. A tiny book made of 17 tiny sheets of copper fell out, It was, and it was all held in place with a copper, like copper wire. The sheets were covered in hieroglyphics. They were later discovered by an expert named Philip Longbottom. He claimed that they contained a 2,000-word message allegedly sent to Earth by an extraterrestrial called Yulo. Mm. He, it doesn't really go into all the things that it says, but, you know, it's sort of your classic, like, if you continue on your course, you know, humankind, you're going to be doomed. And it basically says, uh, you will improve or disappear, which is Oof. pretty ominous and pretty yeah. pretty cool. The missing pieces have been missing ever since, uh, and they've been sitting in a tin cigarette box at the Science Museum Group's archive 200 miles away ever since it happened. Dang. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. amazing. There was an Air Chief Marshal, Lord Dowding. He led the RAF in World War II, another legit military man who I'm, I'm guessing is not prone, you know, to make up things or lie. He revealed that in 1959 that he had held and examined it. He was convinced it was real and not possibly made on Earth. And later, tests at the Manchester University revealed that the object's shell contained abnormally high-purity lead and copper parts not found terrestrially. Mm. So pretty fascinating. But again, you know, whether it's Rendlesham, whether it's Aurora, whether it's Roswell to the Silfo UFO incident, it's... There's this, like, yeah, like this, this uh, hieroglyphic connection yeah and it's fascinating i mean it's it's it one of those that i immediately think of like you know how like in star wars, okay well i mean <laughs> that too but like you know how in star wars like when luke's or you know talking to r2d2 when he's in the x-wing and it just like types out the language and it's like these weird hieroglyphics. oh yeah right mm-hmm. sorry i'm a, i'm a nerd listeners <laughs> no we're clearly that's what this whole podcast is based on <laughs> um no, no, no. And, and that's why I say I, I think that, you know, if it is just sort of, you know, quote, unquote, alien writing, maybe all these situations are sort of people jumping to the next step of like, okay, what's the most sort of, what's the closest thing to this in, in that I can think of? And it's like, you know, yeah. like petroglyphs or hieroglyphs. It's like, yeah. 
sort of symbols, narrative symbols, you know, that kind of tell a story basically. But I don't know, the idea that, I, I mean, I think they're both equally fascinating. The idea that like, okay, maybe it, maybe on every single one of these, it is some weird alien language. Mm-hmm. And these people just are saying it's hieroglyphs. Or maybe even more fascinating is maybe it really is all hieroglyphs. You know, then you get into the ancient aliens and, you well, know. I mean, that's just one way that that kind of all of these things are kind of connected. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I found too, and I think really kind of drove us to really be sort of hyper-specific about Aurora in general mm-hmm. versus covering, you know, the 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 big flap that we'll do later. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll just say there's a there's a lot of characteristics of the UFOs that were seen mm-hmm. in and around Aurora mm-hmm. that with there's a lot of similarities with those and mm-hmm. the ones that are still being seen today. The the fact that they're cigar shaped, sort of their like dramatic way that they arrived, you know, like really fast and then yeah slowed down, and then how they or, or they would show up really slow and then yeah jet and then off really zoom, fast, zoom off right yeah and. Something that's super interesting is because, like, as I was reading about this case and, and, you know, researching or whatever, I figured out, like, I have no idea when, we'll say, like, blimps were, like, invented or or used, right? Mm -hmm. And because a lot of the similarity, like, a lot of the artist depictions of these ships, but then also um, that occurred earlier in the year elsewhere in the U.S., Mm -hmm. kind of looked... Similar to you know a blimp ish yeah. or a uh, what is um, like dirigible, diri- yeah, a dirigible, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Well, first, let me just tell you so that you don't have to look it up on your own. In 1852, um, so you know many years prior to this, this mm-hmm. guy named Jules Henry Giffard uh, was from France. He invented the first powered airship, mm-hmm. and it was at that point even literally described as cigar shaped. It was yeah. non rigid. Uh, it had a three horsepower steam engine, and mm-hmm. then in later, but it only like I think it traveled like six miles an hour, and I think the longest flight it did was from like Paris to Ellencourt, which is like seventeen miles. Later in eighteen eighty four, uh, Charles Renard and author Arthur C. Krebs created this thing called La France, and it was mm-hmm. uh, an airship that was, and this is what was fascinating to me: it was battery powered. I didn't even know they mm-hmm. had battery powered stuff back then but it was very limited in terms of distance and so it only did like a five mile round trip so i say all of that to say the type of performances that people were witnessing from these craft in 1897 were far beyond the technology that was around at the time to be able to duplicate that kind of you know speed Mm -hmm. and characteristics right the fact that it had like you know an easily vertical takeoff and landing and created Relatively little noise, no ground disturbance, See, not propelled by like rockets, um, yeah. you know, hovering and even stationary flight, essentially violating laws of inertia and aerodynamics and stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just, to me, that's interesting that not only can we connect a lot of these things, that, you know, like those events that you just mentioned through mm-hmm. like the hieroglyphics and stuff. But even the behavior of the craft itself. Now, appearance, 
can kind of come and go that that varies, you know. Let me just say one thing real quick. Okay, get to because, it. Because like I can't help and everybody everybody knows that I immediately in my head, no matter what it is, <laughs> go to Hey man, these guys are time travelers. And but here's <laughs> yeah, here's why. And I'm talking about Marty McFly here. I'm talking about like let's just say let's just get on the same page. Everybody listening and, and Tyler, mm-hmm. get on the get on the same page with me here. If time travel in the future or whatever does mm-hmm. exist, yep. John, Taylor. I gotta believe that there's going to be some serious rules involved. Why? Because you don't want to disturb time. Even yeah, though there's the- an interesting concept about that that I'll. I can get into now if you want, but that's well. But if but if John Teeter taught us anything, it's that the bootstrap paradox and the grandfather paradox mm-hmm. is BS, and we're not dealing with actual time; we're dealing with dimension. Well, and that's super interesting because this uh, here we go. Woody's going to talk about time travel. Go ahead and take a shot. <laughs> Woody's going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Take the other shot. Sorry yeah. to do them back to back like that, but if you're playing the drinking game, Lahayim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. In this Dragonlance novel that I'm reading right now, they talk oh, about man, time you're going travel. going for it. Yeah, they talk about time travel. And I'm just going to make it a brief thing, but it was just such an interesting concept because this guy basically goes to this person that like is essentially the master of uh, time, mm-hmm. kind of. Okay, So he knows what's happened, he knows what's going to happen and all this. Mm. And the guy that's doing the time traveling asks him like, you know, Am I able to change time? And he, he just says, basically, think of it like this. And when you throw a pebble in a river, does mm-hmm. it disturb its flow? And the answer is no, it doesn't disturb no. the flow. There might be a couple ripples here and there, yeah. but you really haven't done anything, right? Yeah. Now, having said all of that, I still think there's going to be a set, certain set of rules because I think that if it's very easy for, if, if we were going to go back in time right now, like if I said, hey, good news, this is a, that would be rad exclusive. You've heard it first here at Camp Red Strangeness. We've invented time travel. We're doing it. The first thing that we have to do, though, is say, like, look, when do you want to go back? Well, I really want to go see what old Texas was like. Mm -hmm. That's probably what Julie would say, right, Julie, if you're listening? (laughs) You know, well, we'd say no problem, but here's the thing. You got to, you know, you'd want to dress the part, but you also, if you're going to be flying around taking a look at everything, Mm -hmm. you don't want to just, you know, pop in uh in your private jet because then people are gonna think that the world is ending mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. you got to fly around in whatever's kind of like relatively common to the time now yeah. let's say potentially that you go back in time and it's like maybe there's a margin of error of a few years to me that's just a, a, an interesting explanation i don't mm-hmm. know that's just the first thing that i thought it was like man we got some yeah. time travelers trying to you know observe and then Tyler and I, as we're kind of like talking about this case and getting ready for the, the show, you know, one thing that we kind of theorized in terms of, you know, Ned, the alien mm-hmm. in Aurora, crashed, but yet there were still sightings afterwards where, hey, man, maybe this is a group of uh, pilots Which flying different aircraft. We'll get into a little bit, a little more next of that week. next week, yeah. In In wrapping up, my thoughts on this haven't totally changed as what they originally were. Getting into this, you know, they're, which again, we'll get into next week a little more, but around this era, there was a ton of sightings. There were, there were a ton of sort of accounts of like people seeing certain things that, that really do provide a consistent truth of maybe there was some, something happening, you know, 
uh, with all these sightings. However, I still think that you take something like these rural, take a, take a drink, you know, <laughs> blue-collar guys in 1897 Texas, a judge, you know, for that matter, with, with a pastor. These are sort of pillars of the community. These aren't guys who are just going to be like, hey, let's make up this thing. Let's say a, a which again, that was so not in the purview of like anything that they could have ever even thought of at the time. But it's like, hey, let's make up this hoax of this thing from Mars crashing into my well, and then let's give him a burial. I just, I feel like that's just too much stuff to, yeah, organize, for somebody man. to think of in that area. Well, let's make sure we put real aluminum in there. Yeah. I know it, it costs you, I know it costs you a lot, Fred, but just throw it in there so that in a hundred years when they dig it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's totally Occam's razor. It's totally, I, I just, I find it so difficult for it not to be as what we've heard. Mm -hmm. However, I do, th I, I think that it being when what Woody was saying at the beginning of the episode, you know, there were uh, over two hundred, uh, or within two, you know this sort of square sort of mm -hmm. vector of you know two hundred miles, all these sightings, you know, on April sixteenth and seventeenth. Like, do I think that you know somebody in the next town over had seen the same craft? Absolutely. Yeah. But do yeah. I think this flap sort of encapsulates? Everybody seeing this particular thing, I don't believe that. I think that yeah. I still think that this particular craft is the anomaly as far as the like the mystery ships and the airship mm. sightings of the time. I think that is like a human kind of thing, but I think this to me, this still stands up as there's too many like checks that it has against it being like just a terrestrial craft. Like Again, like the body, uh, the the like weird aluminum, the well, like people getting sick from the remains. You know, it, it's like it to me. It just feels. I mean, it, it would fit the same in a nineteen fifties, you know, or forties like UFO crash. Mm -hmm. it, it would. It would. You know, every bit of it would be like have those same sort of hallmarks of that same kind of thing so like yeah so you're saying like this is isolated i think so man. from what we're going to talk about next week yes i i so here's what i both are fascinating but yes i think they're they're different so here's what i want you to do listeners make sure that you tune in next week to mm -hmm. hear me argue with tyler because mm -hmm. i disagree well tell me do you think <laughs> do you think nope we're going to talk about it next week dude, because <laughs> i yeah uh -uh. nope i think this is an incredible story yeah and I, like i said at the very very beginning stuff like this you know it's like i'm a kid in the candy shop with a lot of this stuff because so much of it i just never really mm -hmm. dug into and so it's giving me now the the opportunity and, and luckily like at this sort of technological stage it's a mm -hmm. lot easier for us to find and get our fingertips on and do the research and so it's just so oh, fascinating yeah. and I, I just love it so i hope you, listener, uh, loved it just as much, and I hope that you're getting excited about next week because I'll go ahead and spoil the surprise. Next week, yeah, do it. we're going to be talking about the great airship of 1897. Yeah, fascinating. So as we say every single week, thank you so much for being on this journey for, with us. I mean, mm -hmm. we haven't even been doing this podcast. Not, we're less than a year. We're getting close on our one-year anniversary, but, yeah. you know, when we started this thing, we really had no idea that how quickly we'd be able to form a, a community of people that like the same stuff that we do, that interact with 
not only us, but each other, which we just love. Mm -hmm. And day after day and week after week, we say how much we appreciate it. And it's not because, you know, we just want to, uh, I don't know, fill the air with noise here. Mm -hmm. We really, really mean it, you know, and it just means the world to us. Now, Tyler, where's the best place for people to interact with us? Well, you know, we're probably going to be moving to Aurora, uh, Texas soon. Uh, mm-hmm. to just, you know, spend the rest of our lives trying to chop that tree down a little bit every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can find us on our social media, or our social media presence is mostly on Instagram. You um, can find us on our social media. What is 90? Social media, web app, Instagram. Jeez. That's where all this, you know, fun kind of takes place. So feel free to hit us up. Feel free to shoot us DMs if you have stories. Like I always say, if it's more of a long-form type thing or you've recorded a voice memo of something you've seen, maybe you've seen some mystery shit uh, or some cigar-shaped crafts, you know, cruising around your neighborhood. Hey, man, we'd love to hear it. Shoot us a voice memo over to our uh, email at thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. So, yeah, like like what he was saying, it's you guys make it make it all worth it to us and you know every bit of the work is is worth it because of this growing community that we have out there and you know we can't thank you enough so we love you we appreciate you and as always be rad Our future would be a parade of